The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount. The Damien Hardwick story has just floored me. Corey, this was a man, the only premiership coach, who has stood on the dais and thanked his wife on the MCG. Many wives of successful AFL coaches would tell a story of enormous sacrifice on their behalf and putting up with behaviour that a lot of people would not put up with because they understand the demands of the job. We rock the granny thing, I think. Your mum look, doesn't look like a granny at all. She looks like she did in 1981, dancing around the floor at the Seaview Ballroom. I wish. You know, you say your children never listen to a word you say, but I remember at one point in Rose's first lockdown when we were still fairly free and I said, oh, look, why don't you and Oscar just have a baby? I mean, it's a good year to do it. <laughs> and she did. What are they called? Ollie Bollen. I should know that from my Dutch background, but I it don't. It translates to um, oily balls, which is... <laughs> They are the most beautiful, crunchy, oily bulls, Corrie. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 156 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Ho, ho, ho. It's that time of year. We're getting into the Christmas spirit, aren't we, Caroline Wilson? We are, Corrie. I've come in in festive green. Um, Miss Jane has bought us beautiful red and green, a beautiful red and green posy each for Christmas. He's made her honey biscuits. Miss Jane, there is no end to your talents. I glazed a ham last night, just saying, but I'll oh talk about... Oh, God, it's not about you. We're I'll just talk giving about Jane the, the moment. No, we're, we're giving all, Jane her moment. We're all talking about what Christmassy things we've done. You had your shortbread last week. In fact, I didn't had, make it. That was Mark. But Can we've I had just, a lot of correspondence about the shortbread. We have. I've had a couple of uh, lovely emails, and someone came into the shop the other day saying that they'd tried the Marg Moffat shortbreads. Marg... Hello, darling Marg up there in Hamilton. And this one comes from Melanie Johnson via email. Hi, Caro and Corrie. Thanks for the inspiration for Christmas baking. Marg's shortbreads baked and packaged ready to gift to teachers at my boys' kinder and school. Did a test batch earlier in the week and they are yum. Can't beat a quality shortbread with a cup of tea. Thanks, lovely ladies. Melanie, kiss, kiss. And Melanie sent us a photograph of Marg's shortbreads with a little red bow. I'm so excited to hear that. Marg will be fizzing. That's just great. We've got um, we've got a lot of um, things to talk about today. We're doing a special edition of the Cocktail Cabinet. We have a special guest and some big family news from Europe. And we're going to talk about the... Well, we're going to talk about AFL coaches and the pressure on them. Um, the news has just broken in recent days, Corrie, that Damien and Daniel Hardwick have broken up, which is just, you know, absolutely terrible news off the back of Nathan Buckley. So uh, a couple of issues to talk about there. Can I just throw in our friend Eloise Hudson, a great friend of the podcast from day one, just wants to end the year with her latest tip. It's a Korean drama called My Mister. Oh. It's on Netflix. It's beautifully written. It's quirky and at times almost comedy. It saw her through lockdown. She wishes us a Merry Christmas, but it sounds fantastic. Oh, My thanks, Mister. And Sarah Bernard, another great friend of the podcast, reports that she used to live on the property that was Arthur Streeton's house. Oh, <clears throat> excuse not me. the house because the house was knocked down years ago. The house yeah. was knocked down years ago, but it is now a series of units in Grange Road, Turak, on the corner of Douglas Street. And it, they, they're in, an I think, either an L or a U shape. And in the middle, 
they overlook this beautiful garden, which is still the gar- part of the garden that Streeton created all those years ago. Now, you know when we walk through Bloomsbury and there are all of those plaques on houses of famous writers I and know. so on? Why, why is I there know. nothing for the houses that have gone where famous Australians... That's I've always I... wondered, why does that not happen in Melbourne? That's what I said to Sarah. I said, is there, she said, there's no sign. The only reason I know is because she was living there and someone she knew or a family member had been dating um, one of Streeton's, um, Oliver Streeton's children. Oh, there you and go. And that, that was how she found out. But um, some of the garden is still there. You can't see it from the street. Because oh, no, don't. You'll have all these people driving past. The and apartment. To Isn't that interesting? It's really interesting, but don't start poking your heads over the fence. Remember, it's private property, everyone. Marion Evans, Caro, um, remember last week I was talking about how much, uh, you know, I can't bear the word, the term reach out. It's just like my sin. Marion's jumped onto the cremation bandwagon here. She said, you didn't ask for it, but I had to share. I never want to hear the word impact or impacts used incorrectly again. A typical use might be to discuss how something impacts you. The correct word is affect. It affects you. It can have an impact on you, but it doesn't just impact Someone somewhere used used this word incorrectly and now TV and radio presenters and even people with their own podcast have heartily adopted it. Makes me shudder every time. She then does add, do I need to say I love the podcast? Marion, I replied to you the other night. I was I absolutely 100% behind you. I did apologise. Uh, I wasn't sure whether Carol and I have used the word impact incorrectly, but I did apologise in case we did. No, and I don't I, think we have. And I, I would... did say I did say that no one needs to love the podcast if they um, if they do correspond with us. We assume that you've subscribed because you're listening. We're so we're so happy you've subscribed. Now, Corey, without further ado, why don't you introduce our guest? On to our very special guest for our episode today and I'm really... Our European correspondent. Our European correspondent. I love that. It sounds so exotic. So our European correspondent, Rose Donahue in Amsterdam, is on the line. Hello, Rosie. What time... I won't ask what time it is over there. It's probably three in the morning, but thank you so much for beaming in along the um, cyber waves. Thanks, Corrie. Hi, Mum. Hi, Corrie. Uh, Chuffed to be the European correspondent, but um, I don't think I would have actually dialed in if it was was 3am. It's only 9.45pm on a Tuesday night, which isn't too bad. Oh, that's pretty civilised, Rose. It does sound actually pretty good. You could put that on your CV when you come back to Melbourne and you're trying to get a job. You could say European correspondent, but don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll put it on my LinkedIn in the next five minutes. Don't worry. So what's it like over there, Rose? You've just gone back into lockdown, I gather, in Amsterdam. Yes, funny timing to be talking to you tonight because we have gone back into a hard lockdown in the Netherlands. It was announced last night in a bit of an emergency speech by the Prime Minister, Mark Rutte. But I still don't feel like I can actually complain about the situation over here because our hard lockdown still means we're allowed to have two guests to our house every day. So I still feel that compared to the the tough Melbourne situation that you've all been through this year, it's it's still not quite complain worthy. Well, yeah, but it's a bit sort of sad for Christmas. It's not exactly, um, you know, you can't exactly have a lot of people around. But I guess... um, it's concerning, darling. Every single day there are thousands and thousands of new cases. No, it is. And I've actually, you do notice now that it really is everywhere. I had a test last Friday because I got sick and thought I had it, but luckily it was just a cold. 
And then today I went into my, um, I've rented like a co-working space because my office has been closed for nine months and I was just going crazy working from home. And um, the four other people I share it with were all not in because they've all had tests and have suspected coronavirus. So you do notice that it is actually affecting a lot of people that I know now, which wasn't the case six months ago. Rose, I suspect that Melbourne is copying Amsterdam of about six months ago when we noticed, well, I certainly noticed on your Instagram account and other friends who were living in uh, places like London and so on, that spring, summer was in the air, COVID lockdowns were over momentarily and everybody was travelling around locally, but everybody was, well, I mean, lots of lovely footage of you and Oscar on your bicycles and it all seemed to be sort of joyful. I wonder what this lockdown now does to the mood of the people who have had that burst of freedom and now they're back again because Carol and I are pretty fearful that this could happen again in Melbourne next year. Yeah, I mean, I think Australia is lucky because you can just close the borders. Over here, it's just never been an option. And so even now in hard lockdown, every, a lot of things are still advice. So you're advised not to travel until March. You're advised not to fly throughout the whole winter. You're advised not to go skiing. But you can tell that a lot of people are, are probably going to be tempted to break the rules. I think it's also hard to put the genie back in the bottle once it's out. So we had an amazing summer um, that everyone felt like they deserved after a few months of lockdown. And then come September and October, when the numbers were getting worse again, a lot of people have, just haven't taken it as seriously as they did the first time. I think it's just a bit of pandemic fatigue, really. Not a bad time for you to be shut up and taking it easy because um, you've got a bit of news haven't you yes i'm having a baby so um there you go <laughs> Carol. take that is that a shock <laughs> oh, you, i'll just pick your mum up off the floor rose she's just fallen over in a dead faint now Corrie, don't exaggerate I, the, the news had crossed my desk yes i was aware Rosie, we did hear this on the grapevine um a little while ago and we're always a bit sort of you know respectful of not jumping the gun we of course did want to come on to don't shoot the messenger and tell everybody but congratulations Congratulations to you and Oscar. What a what a wonderful, joyful event or thing to happen out of such a bleak year. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, I was thinking you should uh, rename the show Two Grumpy Grannies now that Mum's joined you. <laughs> um, Where's the grumpy? No, no, I'm not grumpy. I love being a granny. Soon to be. I mean, I tell you what, Rose. You know, you're a granny when, in the space of what is probably going to be about five to seven days, you go from having two grandchildren to four, as I will next week or the week after, whenever they come. Um, but yeah, we could do we too, could do grumpy granny, and we we rock the granny thing. I think your mum look doesn't look like a granny. All she looks like, you know, she did in 1981, dancing around the floor at the Seaview Ball. I wish, I wish. I, I do, um, you know, you say your children never listen to a word you say, but I remember at one point in Rose's first lockdown when we were still fairly free and I said, oh, look, you, why don't you and Oscar just have a baby? I mean, it's a good year to do it. <laughs> and she did. No, Rose, um, no, you can know... Can you not suggest that that's the reason I'm having a baby? Yeah, because right. you sort of... Yeah, that's right. Your mother said... told me to no. during one phone call. Well, no, Rosie, she will be claiming that because it's, Car it's Caroline Wilson. And when she says, you know, <laughs> it's time for Eddie Maguire to stand down as Collingwood president, they do as she says. Well, I actually... She's <laughs> been saying that for years and he yeah. didn't, so... That's true. That's true. In fact, um, yeah, and he sort of reminded me of that in a text actually yesterday. Rosie... 
It's so exciting. We all miss you so much and we wish we were there with you or you were here. But we're loving the daily, weekly updates of Little Petal. And um, it must be quite strange to be looking at all your friends who, many of whom are getting pregnant as well and having weddings and getting ready for a hot summer and Christmas. And you're sort of in this rather bleak sort of winter spot. But how is everyone's mood generally and all your friends who are still there in Amsterdam? Look, I think the mood could be better. And to be honest, I think it's only going to get worse because December is still a pretty nice time over here. You've got Christmas coming up. Everywhere's sort of decorated with the nice lights and it's all a bit festive. I think February is the worst, be, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, January and February are pretty grim. So I think that's when you often really need to get away. And if we're not allowed to travel by February, I think things will be a bit dire. But um, I've just had this feeling of, you know, it's sort of our turn because I spent the whole of my summer and spring watching you guys go through the worst lockdown that I just felt so bad that I was travelling around Europe having the time of my life. Mm, We did notice Um, that. (laughs) Well, I tried to keep the photos to a minimum because honestly I felt really guilty. Um, But now I'm sort of – I just feel like we're sort of paying for for what we've done in a weird way. Well, I tell you you what, Rosie, there's no schadenfreude on our part. We're not going ha, 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 ha. I am – I'm watching those um, figures in England daily. I've now sort of shifted my – focus from the American election to what's happening in Boris Johnson's England with this lockdown. We're all just terrified for you all, you know, so you've got to stay safe, Rose. On a happy note, have you had any Ollie Bollen yet? I I did. I had um, my first one. You know when I had it, Mum, the day the Tigers won the grand final, we went out (laughs) and I had my mocktail to celebrate and then bought an Ollie Woll, which is a, a Dutch donut. Oh, they oh are so the that most... was nice. What are they called? Ollie Bollen. I should know that from my Dutch background, but I it don't. It translates know. to um, oily balls, which is pretty <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> They are the most beautiful, crunchy, oily balls, Corrie. And they say you're only meant to buy them at Christmas, but clearly they're like hot cross buns. They've now sort of extended into the um, early autumn of um, Amsterdam, Rosa. Yeah, they have. And they, they wheel out these amazing old um, sort of like stalls, food trucks every year that only come out for, for Christmas for the Ollie Bullet. So that's it's stuff like that that makes December, you know, more than bearable. I think it's as the winter drags on um, and as the virus doesn't go away that things are going to be a bit bleak. But Well, Rose, Rose, there's always reading and there's always Netflix. That's the truth, Corey. And there's the also truth. there's also um, you're fermenting your sourdough too, so you could get back into that. You could create a little business from home. I'm going to write my first novel, bake a lot of bread, <laughs> become a better person, grow a human inside me. Focus on the last objective, most important, I suspect. What time is it getting yeah. dark at, at the moment? Oh God, I went for a walk at four thirty today, and it was that was sort of the end of the day. So I think about four forty or something. But we've got the darkest day of the year uh, what, next week. Yeah. And then things can only get better. That's a good way to look at it, Rose. We do too. Rosie, it's been lovely having you on board and for your uh, occasional visits during the year. Our podcast, as you know, because you're a regular, it just um, wouldn't be um, half as much fun if Carol and I didn't have family and friends joining us. But we can't wait to see you and Oscar back here with... Um, 
little bubs, who is known as petal. Is that what we're calling? Well, Rose is having a petal. Oh, get it? oh yeah. Well, but Brendan made it up, clever. although Rose's friend Georgie also claims she made it up too. So we just thought oh, petal was Rose, perfect. Rose, a little petal. And do you, I, I don't expect you to tell me, but do you know what sex you're having? No. Okay, well... No, it's going to be a surprise. All right, well, look, I'll start knitting baby booties in pale grey just so, you know, because I'm so good at knitting You know them. they do home births in Amsterdam, but Rose has luckily said that she's not going to have a home birth. I think that... Caro, a couple of my um, nephews were born home birth and they were fabulous occasions, apparently. It's the norm here. It's the standard. Yeah. You have to request if you don't want one. Oh, people say home births are great, so, no, don't start being negative, Caro, because we'll have lots of correspondence. <laughs> oh, look, fair enough. I, I just like a hospital around me for a birth. and um, But I do like the sound, Rose, of the um, the other thing that happens in Amsterdam, which is somebody comes to your house for eight days in a row after you come home with the baby. Is that right? Yep. It's called a kramzorg, and it's a um, maternity nurse that everyone gets uh, for free for eight days. They come to your home, they cook, they clean, they teach you how to look after the baby and breastfeeding and Hey, Ro- Rosie, I, I wonder whether they play Scrabble as well. You get a couple of hands in before um, <laughs> speaking of Scrabble. Uh, just ask your mum who won Scrabble last week. Corrie got a seven Corrie, minute. you always win. I know, but Rose, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of whinging and complaining. I spelt flavour without the U, which of course is the way the Age newspaper and a lot of other organisations and Americans. I supported your flavour. Our friend Annie did not. She's still going on about it. Hey, Rosa, thanks for joining us. Get to bed and it's lovely to see you. We'll talk again very, very soon. Merry Christmas, Rosie, and to Oscar too. Thanks both. And um, I always love hearing you in my ears when I can't speak to you in real life. So it's been nice to have you in my ears this year. Oh, we wish you were here. And that was Rose Donahue from Amsterdam. Caro, I was very interested to read overnight that the marriage of Damien Hardwick and his wife, Danielle, the Richmond coach, and his wife has um, fallen apart, which is very sad, comes off the back of the news last week that Nathan Buckley, the Collingwood coach, his marriage has also um, has also come to a, an end. And it just made me wonder about the impact of 2020 season, whether this has had any effect. Not that we know. We don't know what, you know, two people bring a marriage together and two people, I always believe, you know, a marriage falls apart because of two people. But I wonder if the impact of this season has had an effect. I think it's a wider a wider topic, Corrie, and I think it's the impact of the life of an AFL coach, which is such an unnatural, stressful, completely... In in no way does it really is it really simpatico with you know family life with a normal social life, and I, I think look with, with the Buckley marriage I think most people in the you know in footies in a sanctum sort of knew that this was coming and have, and have known for some time you know more than a year, but the Damien Hardwick story has just floored me. I mean there there were you know things happened this year. We knew that Daniel only spent a very very brief time at the hub. Went home, we thought, for, you know, other family reasons. And, you know, who would want to live in that hub in that rather unreal, terrible situation? But, Corrie, this was a man who, the only premiership coach who has stood on the dais and thanked his wife on the MCG. No one else has ever done that. Who has talked about his wife all the time. Mrs Hardwick was his yardstick. She's the one who said to him in 2016, you're not the man I married. You're not what on earth is going on? And he famously changed his 
changed his entire operational facilities within his own self and became a completely different coach, went back to so many of the basics. We've seen him become a three-time premiership coach. So much of it he's attributed to her. When he had a crack at John Longmire earlier this year as one of several missteps he's made, he said it was Mrs Hardwick who pulled him up and told him that, you know, you know, you made a gig of yourself or a goose of yourself. So it, it's just for, for Richmond supporters, everybody's just completely shocked. So it and is a it is a shock. You, you didn't see anything coming. No, I mean no. And, no. A, and have AFL coaches <clears throat> or anybody in the AFL talked about the extraordinary pressure well, they've been under this year? Well, well, one veteran um, football person who. Um, I talked to occasionally, said to me a couple of weeks ago, somebody needs to talk about the impact of the game on senior coaches. And in recent days, you've seen the story of Danny Laidley, who used to be Dean Laidley, who coached North Melbourne. We've seen the tragic death, suicide of Danny Frawley. Dean Bailey, who, of course, was put under enormous pressure after he was sacked from Melbourne and revealed the extent of their tanking in interviews with the AFL. Contracted, who knows why he died, but many of his family members believe that the stress might have led to the cancer that killed him. You've got Philip Walsh, who was murdered by his son, who had a drug addiction. I mean, the stories go on and on and on. I mean, there were so many terrible stories of the pressure on coaches. So then, and, to- and, and they're the sort of, the, and the, there are so many others, but they're just some that you just look at of recent times. But then, to kind of flip it a bit, you you have someone like Alistair Clarkson, married, happily married, I presume happily married, you know, still married. I think he has three children, and he's been a coach for coming up fifteen years, or maybe even sixteen years. Um, Yet, you know, and there are coaches, the coach of Geelong, uh, there are coaches who do have longevity in the game. Yes. They must somehow get their work-life balance. No. I think the wives just, uh, in my view, and some of them do, I mean, Chris Scott is someone to me who is a very uh, pragmatic person and who probably, of anyone, has a better work-life balance than most coaches I know. But I would say most Wives of AFL, many wives of successful AFL coaches would tell a story of enormous sacrifice on their behalf and putting up with behaviour that a lot of people would not put up with because they understand the demands of the job. And I think the most successful coaches are the ones who's they just become a complete unit. And the wife just understands that they're a team and everything they do is to support their husband. Um, Malcolm and Patsy Blight, which, which is not, classic example. But which is not to say that that um, that Mrs Hardwick or indeed Tanya Buckley at, at times have dropped the no, ball in that regard. No, We're not no. saying that. But it, I'm talking about yeah. the successful ones. Yeah. And I think Malcolm and Patsy Blight, I always remember, like, they were the unit and everything that they did, they did together. And she totally supported his wife. Other coaches, you read about coaches who go and coach interstate and their wife is commuting back to Melbourne for work. And I'm not being sexist here, but I'm just saying I look at those relationships and I think I bet it doesn't work. And sure enough, it generally doesn't. The coach generally ends up not being a successful coach or the marriage falls apart because it is just the most ridiculous demands of a job. And at some point, someone needs to say, I mean, Brad Scott's a classic example. He walked away from coaching and I don't think, I don't think he would mind me saying that I don't think his wife particularly enjoyed 
the scrutiny that was on her husband and therefore their family as an AFL coach. He's now climbing the ladder at the AFL and will probably, maybe he'll never now go back to coaching, even though he was a really good coach, because I don't think it was, it, it just wasn't worth it for the family sacrifices. And I suppose the other thing too with coaching is that usually after a, after a period of um working as a deputy or working in a football department somewhere, a coach becomes a, a senior coach usually in their early 40s. And that coincides, of course, with young children, usually. And in this modern era, usually the partner is a working woman. And I'm just thinking as you're talking of James Heard and Tanya Heard, Tanya Heard's solicitor, and James Heard, who... Uh, I, I, don't I, think, th- I don't think he was working as a solicitor, though. I, I, really? I thought she no. was still a practising solicitor. I think that he was became a solicitor again when James oh. had some issues. Okay. Yep. Well, anyway, I do think of the, of the pressures on that young family. And that's what happens, isn't it? Young, young coaches generally are young. Um, they have young families. And you're being pushed and pulled in all sorts of directions. And if you have a wife who's working with their own career, that really makes it terribly problematic. Which is why... <clears throat> these days, and you're looking at David Noble, recent appointment at North Melbourne, older family, albeit one son actually playing for Collingwood. Then you've got um, Chris Fagan, older family. Don Pike didn't work out for a series of reasons at Adelaide that, I, that we won't go into, but older family. So they were able to leave the family home and leave, the, in many cases, the children looking after the house back in their home state. Very quickly, Corrie, before we move on to Crush, just want to acknowledge um, the impending resignation of Eddie Maguire after, well... 1998. He was obviously listening he to the, president of He's obviously been listening to the podcast the last three or four weeks, Caro, and he's taken our advice on board. No, I don't. I, I simply said, and I've said many times, that Eddie needs a succession plan, and we're going to watch that unfold over the next year. But look, the Herald Sun turned on him. I think the biggest thing to note about Eddie and what is coming up is that Nathan Buckley is also out of contract at the end of next year. And the view was, you know, whatever happened, if Nathan didn't have a good year next year, he would probably go and that maybe that would be the time for Ed to go. So all sorts of names. Craig Kelly, who has a son playing at the club, who manages Nathan Buckley. John Bertrand. I'm sorry, that's too many conflicts of interest for me. Probably. Uh, Peter Murphy, who did the review into Collingwood and wanted term limits on the board but didn't achieve that, is another name we keep hearing. John Wiley who has just stepped down as chairman of the Australian Sports Commission, big Collingwood man. Sally Cap, the Lord Mayor, who was the first woman board member at Collingwood. Few of the names that have um, come up. So oh, it's going to be interesting. It'd be good to see Sally Cap, although she could not possibly do both jobs. Caro, we're now on to the cocktail cabinet. Jane, it, it's this soundtrack, it sounds like we're in a dishwashing... No, it doesn't. It, at the back of a like restaurant. In, it sounds like we're in Palm Springs. Does it? Um, in their art week. What, is, what is fast becoming one of the most popular segments in Don't Shoot the Messenger, certainly with Caro and I, is the cocktail cabinet. And this, of course, is brought to us each week by the lovely gang at Prince Wine Store here in Melbourne, but they deliver anywhere, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. So just go on to princewinestore.com.au and then you can have a look at all the wonderful things that they have got, including the ingredients for today's Christmas cocktail. Welcome, Tony Newell. And you've virtually set up a bar here in the studio. Well, it's just a bit of improvisation, but for what we need for today, it will work nicely. Oh, good. We can't wait. Forget the hour. Let's just pretend <laughs> it's five o'clock in the afternoon here. Well, if we're in New Zealand, it would be two hours later. 
Oh, that's fair enough. Um, can I just say, Kevin from Geelong, <laughs> if you think that I'm loose in previous episodes, wait till after I've had one of these cocktails. Oh, Kevin from Kevin from Geelong still is cross about many things at the moment, but he won't be cross about that. Tony, I suspect you're about to make my favourite cocktail. Can you talk to us about what it is that you are suggesting for Christmas cocktail? I actually did have an inkling that in some of our earlier conversations that the, the Negroni word was mentioned. So I had an inkling that it, w- it was actually on your list of favourite Her beverages. little eyes have just lit up. But um, what, what, I'm th- what I've decided to do today is, is basically it's, it's, it's nothing new, but it's the, the key to Negroni is all about the quality of, of the ingredients. And anyone can make a Negroni, but not many people can make a great Negroni. So the thing that we've got today, which is really unique, is three boutique handmade spirits that are all fantastic in their own right, but blended together, they make a really beautiful Negroni. I remember um, taking my mother, Julia, who is going to be starring in our Christmas episode next week, to a bar once, and we both ordered a Negroni, and mum had never had one, and she just kept saying... There are so many. There's every single type of alcohol in this you could possibly want. As she fell off the chair. Well, no, look, that's the thing. I don't know. One Negroni, it's sort of enough, I reckon. It's probably not something you ever go back and have a second one on the same sitting. I don't know, Tony. You might be different. Now, you're sitting here with a group of ingredients. What is the gin and can we buy it at Prince? Okay, so you will actually be familiar with this one because this is one that we've actually worked with earlier that the Prince direct import from England. So it's the Dockyard Gin and um, it's a classic London dry gin which they've got this beautiful relationship that uh, I think we told the story a bit earlier. exactly. Through a really great connection of Gerald Diffie who has um, a fantastic bar in Carlton. Gerald's in Carlton, exactly. And um, so, yeah, really interesting handmade. In in its own right, it's actually a fantastic gin. So that sort of, the gin is sort of the key key ingredient. But um, as we're talking, I'm going to start mixing. It's the most beautiful bottle. The thing about gins at the moment, Corrie, is they're all so pretty. I mean, you know, my, too almost too good for a bottle of lemon cordial. Well, I do remember someone in Cornwall seeing a rather lovely gin bottle, a local distillery, and um, I remember her saying, not so much can't wait to drink the gin, but wouldn't that look lovely on my shelf at home it, yes. as an accessory for the... Interiors. That was the Atlantic Bay because we just walked over Atlantic Bay and they claimed to make this Do you this still have the bottle? The, I gave someone lemon cordial in it. No lemon cordial at the moment. Lemons are nowhere, are they? It's terrible. Everybody doesn't have friends because no one's getting, everyone's buying lemons. Well, Caro, thank goodness we have a cocktail this week that doesn't require any lemon. No, well, Tony, Tony, do you always do a bit of orange or orange peel in your Negroni? Always orange peel and blood orange if possible because blood orange is even better, I think. But the, yeah, orange and almost, I squeeze just a little bit of orange in there too. So you've just put something called a cobia bitter there, which looks very much like Campari, one of my favourites. Hopefully I'm not making too much of a mess in your studio. Okay, so this is the other element, which is, well, all elements are great, but this is really cool. This is a a friend of mine is actually based in Italy, an Australian winemaker, and he's got his own wine brand called Fletcher Wines, and he does everything to, whoops, everything that he does is Nebbiolo. And so what he decided to do was to also make a Nebbiolo spirit. So it's a bitter. So it's in the style of a Campari, but basically he's used Nebbiolo wine as the base and then he's added 13 what he calls fruit and herbs. So it could be a few things that happen to be that's a seasonal at the moment that he could get access to. And he's made this beautiful bitters called Arcobia bitters. And it's only arrived in Australia about a month ago. 
and the Prince Wine Store were the first people to stock it. And it, it's, uh, I think I was just mentioning to Carrie earlier, it's actually a fantastic drink to have on its own over ice by itself is beautiful, but it's also a fantastic component to make a Negroni. It is the most beautiful bottle. It's just, it, it just it's a work of art, this whole thing. Now, what about the vermouth? Because oh, I you, love that mixing sound, Carol. It is a very smart, very smart cocktail mixer. Tell me, because um, there are a lot of cheap vermouths around and there are a lot that look smart but aren't that smart. So what vermouth are we using for the perfect Negroni, Tony? And once again, so another interest, really interesting handmade uh, handmade um, product. So this is a, a French winemaker whose name is Jules Lapalus. Um, was the winemaker at Sutton Grange for many years, but now has a couple of his own wine brands. But he started... Um, making some vermouth under the Maiden Eye label about two or three years ago with a guy called Sean Byrne who actually ran the Gin Palace and so he was obviously right into spirits. And they started off with a dry vermouth, they moved on to a sweet vermouth and they've moved on to any other type of vermouth you can imagine they are making under this Maiden Eye label. The packaging is fantastic, the quality is amazing and because Gilles comes from a winemaking background, he's very particular about the flavour and how it's made. So it's all all these, all these three spirits we're ta- t- um, tasting today are all handmade and all made with without any additives. So they're all very natural products. Wow! And, and, and I've there never is a lot. Seen, your mum's right. There is a lot of alcohol in it. <laughs> I have never seen this um, vermouth before either. It's a sweet one, is it, Tony? Is that right? No, uh, sorry. Yeah, that's a sweet one. Yeah. So the red colour on the label of of a vermouth always indicates that it's sweet. Yep. And um, you've even got your special. Um, well, bigger than a golf ball, isn't it, Corrie? Yeah, golf it's a, ball a, ice. A, a, a nice big round ice block, probably the size of a small orange, I would yeah. suggest. And this is the part of the equation that I probably should have brought a knife, but no, I no, was you, running late, so I just, I just went with it. Your the... grater's is working a trick. Now, my friend Sal um, ignites her orange peel. Oh. You know, she does one of those, you know, like okay. a, with a long match or a barbecue yeah. lighter. Yeah. And she says that releases some of the, oh my Lord, look at releases this. But, some but, of the aromatics. But, but you're right, the orange Thank peel. You. Peel is better than a slice of orange, isn't it, in a Negroni? <laughs> it is. I mean, in a perfect world, I would actually slice that with a knife so I had a little bit more of the actual citrus flavour in there and then give it the orange a little, just a slight squeeze over the top. Okay. Well, chin chin. Here we go. <laughs> what time is it? Seven o'clock. Who cares? Here we go. Well, what time was it in Amsterdam? I think it's probably about 10 o'clock there now, so oh, that's all right. Oh, lordy. Whoa. That's amazing. See, that is completely different to any Negroni I've ever had. In a good way? In a fantastic way. Okay, so in, what, the, in what way, can I ask? Fantastic. No, but like, how does oh, it taste differently? Can you well, describe it? it the, for a start, the sweet vermouth. For a second thing, there's a slight element of, uh, there's a more bitterness about it, and I suspect that is from your friend's... Um, oh, that's from the Yacobia bitters, yeah. The Yacobia yeah, bitters, yeah, yeah. which is not, which is like Campari has a bitterness to it, but that is sensational. And it, and it warms your throat like a whiskey. And the Dokya oh, gin, nice. which we obviously tried when we... That, that's just a beautiful gin, and you're, it's very dry. Yeah, very bone is, dry. Which yeah. is what you need for a Negroni. Oh, that's a fantastic... Now, drink. you know it doesn't matter the time of the day, but everything in life is better after a Negroni. <laughs> well, Tony, I'm going to do 10 hours of retail after this, so watch out customers is all I can say. I'll be on fire. This is such a great drink. So I would um, I would not be doing this for Christmas morning. I would be more kind of maybe Christmas Eve when you come home ready to have your Christmas Eve dinner. Definitely Christmas Don't you Eve. Don't think? Yeah. Definitely Christmas Eve or... Um, Kick off New Year's Eve with one of these yeah. and you won't make it to the 
Midnight. No, well, well, you. That's the thing. You drink them slowly. It's a one drink. Well, not that yeah, I guzzle every drink, <laughs> but you. Do, but you don't, do you? There's something. It forces you to drink it slowly. No, you're exactly right, and I totally agree. So for me, this this is the ultimate aperitif drink. So when I drink this drink, mostly is often at Distasio with uh, with our friend Ronnie, who yes. we all know, and Mallory. And Mallory sort of got me onto them years ago, and it's a, it's a perfect aperitif. So something you can sip over while you're reading the menu and taking a bit of time, having a bit of chat, it's that perfect thing. So on, on a New Year's Eve type gathering or whatever, perfect beverage to start to start the night. Yeah. Don't you love Tony's network? I mean, we, we're in France, we're in Italy, we're in I'm San just, I'm just loving I'm just work. loving Tony, but can I also say, apart from having a crush on Tony, I also have a crush on Michael, your colleague, because... I don't know, Cara, whether you have yet um, gone to Prince Wine Store, but I have been doing a bit of shopping. Very kindly brought over to the shop by you, Tony. I didn't mean you to be the carrier pigeon, but hey, thanks heaps. I couldn't get out of the shop. But Michael and I have been having a two-way, you know, back forward, back forward about what's the best whiskey, what should we do, this, that, putting together my summer parcel of grog. And it's just been such a lovely experience. Your, your newsletters that come into the, my inbox are terrific. So the social media, the correspondence via email, it's all really fantastic. I think you've got a great business there and we're just so wrapped that you are part of it. Um, don't shoot the messenger in 2020 because apart from your company, we get to drink at a nice Negroni at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm devastated that that beautiful sparkling wine, the Gembrook, was so successful on our show that you can't get it anymore. Oh, no, that was just unfortunate timing. Oh. That The time that I brought it in to show you was sort of towards the end of it being available and it, and it actually just ran out of stock. Well, couple, it'll be back. It'll yeah. be back. And a couple of our mates have asked about that, Tony, so who listen to the podcast. So can you, you know, note to you and Michael, can you let us know when it comes back in stock and we'll tell potties. Not maybe not a special offer, but they can pay full price. But <laughs> and let them not. Tony, for just just to repeat, the perfect Negroni. Take us through each ingredient, all of which we can buy at Prince. Yep. So the good thing about Negroni, it's actually really simple and easy to make because there's three ingredients and it's equal portions of all three ingredients. So anyone like me who's not a particularly experienced cocktail barman can whip it up quite easily. But no sugar syrup either. Which no is- sugar syrup at all. So the Dockyard Gin, which is available exclusively through the Prince Wine Store, then Maid and I Sweet Vermouth, um, also available at the Prince, and then. Arcobia bitters um, is is the bitters, which is also available at the Prince at the moment. The Arcobia bitters could go quite well in my uh, mother's soother, the recipe from last week, Carol. It could, actually. It could. Mm. It's absolutely fantastic. So just reminding you all again, visit princewinestore.com.au. Use the promo code MESS, that's capital M-E-S-S, like Messenger Corrie, which is us, at checkout to receive a special listener discount. You'll find the links to them in our show notes as well. Merry Christmas, Tony. Oh, Merry Christmas to both of you. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you, Tony. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks. Have a great Christmas. We've loved it. Thanks. And thanks again to Tony Newell for coming in and sharing that wonderful Negroni with us. Uh, Miss Jane has drunk half my glass, Caro, so I will be sober when I'm serving the customers today. Now, you have a crush. I've got a crush on Ida Buttrose. Several times she has stepped up as chairman of the ABC, and some of the nonsense that has come from Canberra as a result of that Louise Milligan Four Corners story involving Mr Tudge and Mr Porter and um, this sort of allegation that it wasn't relevant, that it was completely not part of the political not part of the political landscape, that it was focused on the government and not the opposition. Well, they are the government. And, you know, as has been pointed out, ever since um, it, the government, government ministers complained to the ABC, it's been pointed out that the story began as a completely different story 
about um, interviewing some female politicians in Canberra about the impact on women in certain aspects of politics and life and society. And so many of them, I think, said, whether it was to a producer or to Louise Milligan, this toxic workplace culture is at its worst in Canberra, led her to do the story. I mean, I'm Can I just butt in there? And I know for a fact that Watch Four Corners next year, Caro, more to come on this topic early well, in the new year. Well, Ida, Because, of course, what happens is that you chip ship at the top of the iceberg and then, of course, everything underneath. A lot of people are contacting Louise Milligan and Four Quarters at the moment. Look out. Watch this space. The woman who Tudge had a fling with went on Four Corners, talked about what happened to her. I mean, it couldn't be more obvious that this is a man campaigning on family values in other parts of his life. I, I just found it extraordinary. Anyway, I think it's great the way she's stood firm, that she's written back. Aisha, you mean? Yes, yeah. Ida Buttrose, and I'm incredibly impressed. So I won't go on about that. But while I've got well, you... Well, any woman, can I just say, that stands up to Sir Frank Packer and Kerry Packer in one lifetime deserves a medal. <laughs> I'm really impressed with what she's done since she's gone to the ABC. While I've got you, who... You've got me. You've got me. I'm here. Before we go to Always BSF, here you, Caro. Which, um, which politician would get your votes this year? Uh, well, obviously it has to be virus related because that's been the uh, global story. I would probably say um, on a, like a three, I'd do a three-way here, Gladys Berejiklian, Anastasia Palaszczuk. And Jacinta Ardern with a nod to Mark McGowan, the WA Premier, and over the sea waves all the way to Germany, Angela Merkel. Oh, and probably Andrew Cuomo, who's the governor of New York. So I'd stick all them in the one basket for showing uh, great leadership in a time of global pandemic. Um, Boo boo to Donald Trump and Boris Johnson in the early days when he refused to call a lockdown. And thousands of people in England have died probably as a result of that decision. Interesting that. Okay, BSF, let's go on to book, screen and food. Thanks to our sponsor. Click for Vic. Thanks to Visit Victoria, it's not too late to jump onto Click for Vic and order local goodies for Christmas. Restaurants can deliver amazing eat-at-home food, hampers, cheese. Get ordering from anywhere in the world. Click for Vic and get the best of Victoria delivered at visitvictoria.com forward slash click for Vic or just follow the links in our show notes. And we want to hear again your Victorian recommendations and Click for Vic suggestions. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And we have a little bit of news on that. In the new year, we'll be taking Don't Shoot the Messenger on the road to somewhere rural in Victoria. I'm very excited about it. My book is Nick Hornby's latest, Just Like You. Anna from the Op Shop, who's going to join us next week, would disagree. I don't think he enjoyed it as much as um, some of his others. But oh, for me, it was like visiting an old friend, Corrie. I, I read it in two days. I just could not put it down. His conversations, his um, the way he studies people, particularly people of a certain age, the way he talks about British society, I just love. I laughed out loud. It's a love story about a, between a woman in her 40s, a single mother, and a young 22-year-old black man whose life isn't really going anywhere. He's doing a lot of part-time work. He wants to, he has aspirations to be a DJ. He works in her local butcher. She is sort of middle class, classic middle class English woman. He comes from the working classes and somehow they end up together and they just keep trying to break up and they just can't. It is just the most beautiful story. And it's all set around Brexit, which makes it even more interesting. I don't know about you. I, I just love the way he writes. Well, I, really I, I sometimes find the conversations, I, I, I don't know whether I'm such a conversation 
When the, when the, when the narrative is driven by conversation, I tend to prefer uh, a, a narrative storyline, which is in the author's words, not the characters. Oh, I, I, can't lo- I be, love I, the way I, his I get characters. a bit agitated with long conversations, unless, of course, it's Ian McEwan in Machines Like Me. <laughs> oh, I, abso- I absolutely mm. I love the way he writes. Look, I he's mean, bright I, and breezy, I would I say. I particularly loved, obviously, Fever Pitch, which he said he couldn't, which is a story yeah. of him growing up as a soccer fan and covering soccer rights, etc. Um, High Fidelity, fan. I love. High Fidelity yeah. was a classic. But I've enjoyed every single one. Anyway, look, it's, it has a lovely cover. This one came out a couple of months ago, and it probably is what you would describe as a good beach read. And, Caro, back to you again. You have a screen. Look, I, went, I took myself off to the cinema alone again, naturally. I keep going to movies on my own because I keep sort of going, oh, I reckon I could just nick into a movie now, now that I'm not doing a lot of work because the footy season's over. Um, Misbehaviour is a, just a great Easy Watch film starring Kira Knightley and Leslie Manville, who's actually just been announced as she's going to be Princess Margaret in the next two, the next series of The Crown. In fact, I think they're doing two more series. No, it, I, I have been told that it's only, only one. one more. But well, she plays Dolores Hope. Could be wrong. Kira Knightley plays a young woman who is a single mother. Well, she's not a single mother. She's um, her partner is not the father of her child. She's a student. A, a mature student in London on the eve of the 1970 Miss World contest. Miss World is run by a couple called the Morleys who continue, well, Mrs Morley continues to this day. Also, um, oh, this is true, sorry. Yep, she's played by Keely Hawes, who we love, and um, Risa Farns plays... Oh, Mr. Morley, I'll get back to his name. They've started um, reality TV shows like Come Dancing. Um, She's still very successful. But the Miss World competition was a British production for the BBC. It was a massive worldwide multi-million dollar hit. Remember Belinda Green? Yeah. I always wanted to be her when I grew up. Was she Miss World? She she went on to win Miss World. Well, this um, film covers apartheid. It covers women's liberation. It was the first year that the apartheid group got involved with Miss World and said it is an utter disgrace that Miss South Africa is always white. So they came up with this brilliant idea of having a Miss Africa South as well to appease the apartheid protesters. Um, The... Miss Panama character is absolutely fascinating, also based on a real-life person. And the other protester, who is a very world-class, sort of almost lives in a squat, who Kira Knightley befriends, is absolutely brilliant as well. But Greg Kinnear, as a sleazy, dreadful, absolute foreshadowing, forecasting the days of the Me Too movement, Bob Hope, and what he does. He plays Bob Hope. Oh, he's... He is such a great actor, Greg Kinnear. He's a really good actor. And Leslie Manville as Dolores Hope is... um, Because, of course, Mr and Mrs Hope were actually English. I forgot that. And they used to come back to England and, you know... Well, he used to come back and host the Miss World competition. But you know those movies that are just... I remember them. There was always a bit of the, the, um, the shonks about them. Well, she's a long-suffering is all I can say. But what, what is interesting about this film is that it's about women's lib. It was the birth of the women's liberation movement as the words women's liberation and the protest, the famous protest they basically enacted at the Miss World pageant. Um, but it also covers the Miss World contestants and the way they deal with their situation. It also covers the Morleys trying to run a TV show. 
TV show up against, you know, the pressure from the women's lib protesters, from the apartheid protesters. It's London. It's 1970. It's a great story. Most of it's true. And you just, it's very funny, but it's also really shocking in some parts as well. Highly recommend it. Well, taking your highly recommend from a couple of weeks ago. Written by women and also directed by a woman as well. I'm up to episode five of The Queen's Gambit. Started it a couple of nights ago. How good is it? it, 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 It's production values, apart from the storyline and the plot, which you just can't believe. You're watching hours and hours of chess games, <clears throat> which would seem improbable on my part, but it's it, 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 the way it captures the particular period, the music, the soundtrack, that uh, that the interiors of the mother's bedroom and the oh, house. Oh, I know, I know. That, the, um, that incredible hotel they stay at in Mexico and the interiors of that, it's just phenomenally brilliant. Can't oh, recommend it more Wait till highly. you get to Russia. Oh, I can't wait to get – I'm almost on the plane to Russia. Nikori, you have a recipe. I do. It's broccoli and mozzarella salad. Kel Island, this is a tribute to you and for, uh, for being such a terrific catalyst for Caro and I this year to think about what are some great meals that we can make that don't require lots of time and lots of ingredients. This is pretty easy, Caro. My doctor told me a few weeks ago that I needed to eat more broccoli. So off I went in search of great broccoli recipes. And this one is from the new Julia Bazutal Nishimura book, A Year of uh, Simple Family Food, which I've talked about endlessly. And as everybody has heard, I received an advanced copy of this four months before it was released um, on the bookshelves for a variety of different reasons. So I've been cooking out of this basically since May and I've cooked this so many times. All you need is, this serves four people, two heads of broccoli cut into large florets, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, plus a little bit more for the, to drizzle over, sea salt, black pepper, 250 grams of buffalo mozzarella, which you tear up, one long red chilli finely sliced and finely grated zest and juice of one lemon. Place the broccoli in a large bowl, drizzle over the olive oil, add a large pinch of sea salt and use your hands and massage it all through until the broccoli is coated. Yum. Heat a large frying pan or char grill, we do it on the barbecue, over a high heat, and when it's smoking, add the broccoli. Cook for about five minutes, turning occasionally until the broccoli is just tender and charred, which it does get, of course, on on the barbecue. It looks fantastic. I mean, I know we think, oh, charred food doesn't look great. When it's green and black, there's just something about that looks really good. Transfer to a serving plant plate, allow it to cool briefly because you're going to put the cheese on top and you do not want it to melt, Caro. Then you add the mozzarella to the broccoli. Then you scatter the sliced chilli and lemon zest. Drizzle with lemon juice and a generous amount of olive oil. Season with salt and pepper and serve. So it's this beautiful char grilled with the cheese on top, which hasn't melted. And all of the, I usually use one and a half or even two chilies just to add that extra colour. It is a fantastic recipe. I highly recommend it, potties. Now, six quick questions. Over before, to- no, before that, you're grumpy. Oh, I am grumpy. Oh, God, I forgot. There is nothing to be grumpy about today, to be honest. This is the last time in 2020 that anybody, particularly you, Caroline Wilson, is going to have to put up with me talking about American politics. I am grumpy (laughs) about the fact that Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, congratulated Joe Biden on his election win hours after the Russian leader, Vladimir Putin, had made his call. So the Russian president has contacted the president-elect of the United States after the Electoral College votes came in to say, congratulations, Mr. Biden. And then hours later, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, who is one of the most evil, menacing 
politicians on that whole kind of American scene on both sides of the party. He made the call. I think this is churlish. I think it's rude. It disrespects the Constitution. Yep. I'm grumpy about that. That's it. You will not hear US politics or election come through my lips one more time for 2020. How's that? I'm probably pretty happy about that. <laughs> so, now, are the, so are the potties. Okay, my first question to you. What's your advice on how the hockey roos can come back from this current bullying drama they're going through? Revamp the board, put in a new high-performance manager, put in a, a proper leader as coach and put Rachel Finch, the goalkeeper, back oh. into the team. There you go. This is the woman who said Eddie Maguire should stand down. Take note, hockey ruse. It's, kin- it's disgraceful what's been going on there. The um, lack of leadership, the bullying, the, they're, oh, all, they're all dotted around the country. Oh, the coaches disarray. show no leadership, blah, blah, blah. But it's terrible. They were such a, such a you know, famous sort of badge of honour, the hockey ruse. And to think they've fallen to these terrible problems is just such a worry. Corrie, it's kinder and primary school nativity plays and break up concert time. What is your favourite Christmas panto memory? Well, you and I'll be back in that space very soon, Caro, with grandchildren. <laughs> oh, no. Another 20 years of watching pantos. <laughs> Great. Can't wait, kids. Can't wait. Um, In prep, I was a raindrop because we did a thing on the weather. So there were sunbeams and, you know, wind. A whole lot of girls were the wind. And I was a raindrop dressed in a tutu. Uh, I can't remember what I did in grade one, but my highlight was I was chosen as the pretty Cinderella in grade two because we did Cinderella. You may ask, what was the pretty Cinderella? We had the frowsy ashes, you know, sitting by the ashes, the cinders, cleaning the fireplace, doing all the chores for the ugly sisters. And that was a girl called Kim Robinson. And then Kim disappeared behind a curtain and out came me in a pink dress that my mother had made me with a tiara. And um, the prince was uh, Virginia Thompson, who I ended up sharing a house with for a couple of years after school. I had the biggest girl crush on her. Wow. Well, is this now, is this now time for me to revisit Wachunga Wali Polinda? Could you please sing it? <laughs> well, Shepard, watch their flock. Go on, can not. you please sing it? In Swahili. Corrie, it's your turn to ask me a question. Okay. Bob Dylan last week controversi- controversially sold his songbook to Universal Music. I was astounded by this. What is your favourite Dylan song? Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. Oh, okay. I could have said knocking that's on heaven's happy. door, but I could have said it ain't me, babe, or all along the watchtower. There were so many, but that's my favourite. Corrie, the spy writer John Le Carre, David Cornwall, died over the weekend. What is your favourite Le Carre novel to well, recommend? Um, look, I've only read a couple of John Le Carre. I did it when I was quite young. Little drummer girl, I remember as being terrific. But um, I often recommend because Philip Roth, who is a novelist I really admire, he said in 1986 that, oh, sorry, he said that A Perfect Spy, which was released in 1986, was the best English novel since the war. So I would probably say to anybody who's looking to dip into that, A Perfect Spy. But Cara, one of our guests next week on our Christmas podcast is actually going to give us a bit of a rundown on John Le Carre. So we will wait with bated breath. Night Grand Final next year, Cara, yes or no? No, it will be an absolute mistake. And I think that... Um the AFL would be making a big mistake if they did so and it would be showing a lot of disrespect to the football community. No. Corrie, which saying from the 70s and 80s would you like to see make a comeback? Nick McKenzie, our very popular guest from a couple of weeks ago, said this, Caro. Stoked. I think he might have said he was stoked to be on our podcast or maybe he was stoked to be 
He also said reach out, which you wouldn't have liked, but that's all right. I've told him off about that. I also that. love grouse. Somebody said grouse the other day. I went, yeah, right back to 1978 with that one. Well, grouse is on 3AW every morning. It's a regular segment. Oh, I didn't know that. Grouse or shouse. And the other one I, I love, because I sometimes say it to the kids, oh, duh. <laughs> well, that's had a, that's which had, says a million that's had things. a run around on the podcast. Oh, look, it's been a lovely episode. So, Potties, thank you for joining us this week. Next week, of course, is our last Christmas show. We have two popular guests. Um, We know you love them. You'll be so happy to hear that Julia Wilson, Caro's mum, and Anna Barry, Anna from the Op Shop, are joining us for our Christmas episode. We are so excited. I would like to send a big cheerio to Rose Donahue in Amsterdam, who is having a baby, which means Caro will be not only an award-winning journalist, a great gardener, a fabulous wife, but she'll also be a granny next year. Um, So much to celebrate. And uh, Miss Jane, I want to thank you as well for your great work today. And of course, to our supporters, Prince Wine Store and Click for Vic. Thank you guys. We couldn't do it without you and your support. And of course, our potties who contact us regularly through the Instagram account, Don't Shoot Pod. You can always leave a message there. And you can also send feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and Miss Jane will pick up your email and we will respond. And Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. This episode has been proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS, as in messenger, at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount.